Good morning, community. Uh, my name is Ilunga, and I will be reading our passage of scripture today. Uh, that can be found in John 15, 1 to 17. Uh, on your pew Bible is page 848, and you can follow on the screen as well. Let's read. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, it takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, it prunes, and it, it prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that has spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and the withers. And the branch are gathered, thrown into fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandment, you will abide in my love, just as, just as I have kept my Father's commandment, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that... My joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that, uh, that you love one another as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what, what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that have heard from my father have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed, appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will be love, you will love one another. This is God's words. Thanks, Alunga. Well, good morning. Um, I'm going to dismiss our kiddos, four years old, to kindergarten. Uh, Kristen is back there, and she can take you to Sunday school, as well as uh, our friends, our church members that are going to go into the cafe uh, with Alunga and um, some of our other folks to receive the sermon in uh, uh, English as a second language. Um, so uh, we'll say goodbye to them and uh, kind of enter in here. Well, you might be wondering why there is a lamp on the stage here and one that looks like it's out of the 1970s, which I think that it is. Well, my wife and I believe in the importance of ambiance, the atmosphere of a room. Um, nothing like ceiling lights to, to steal away uh, the ambiance of a room. So, as you might imagine, we enjoy lamps. And we moved uh, about nine months ago, and after we had moved, there was one lamp, 
that uh, didn't find a home in our home, and it was in the basement. So, uh, as you might imagine, I brought it to my church office, and the way that it went was I brought it here, and it didn't have a light bulb, so naturally, I hunted through the church to find a light bulb, maybe stealing a few from other lamps, um, and kept trying different light bulbs, and they didn't work. And I had to kind of go back and get more light bulbs, and uh, I was like, what is wrong with this thing? Uh, You know, then I was like, okay, it's kind of janky. It's got this, like, uh, tape on the cord, so um, it's not a very uh, healthy lamp. But as I looked at the cord behind the couch, I realized that it wasn't plugged in. (laughs) And so I plugged it in, and uh, voila, it worked. Wow, that just blinded me there. Uh, So now you can see, as good as the lamp was, as good as it looked, maybe you don't think it looks all that great, uh, and as many light bulbs as I tried, as much as I wanted it to work, that lamp was useless to produce light without being plugged into the energy source necessary to make it work. And likewise, a lot of us want to see light in our lives or to use our passages imagery fruit. We want to see good come in our lives and in the lives of those around us. We want to see change and growth and new life, but we often don't. Suffering can lead us to insecurity. Apathy can lead us to addiction. Exhaustion becomes irritability, and hope can feel like a dream. It seems like much of the time we fail to see fruit in our lives because we are not so unlike this lamp. We're disconnected from the source of lasting life. We do life on our own. It's like we take this cord uh, and we start plugging it into different things, like the couch or uh, the chair or the whiteboard or the bookcase. We lean on the strength of other things, the strength of our career, the strength of the tranquility of our inner life, the success of our friendships, the the quality of our parenting to give us life. And it doesn't work because those things are not enough to give us life. And neither are we strong enough to give ourselves life. But Christ is, and he is present this morning to bring life to his people. And in John 15, we see how we get that life. It's a life of dependence, as we have already sung about, about, complete dependence. I just would encourage you, if you're ever feeling low on a Sunday morning, come and sit in the first two rows and don't sing. And just listen to the people behind you sing, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. And it's nourishing to your soul. At least it was for mine. And even that is preparing us to receive Jesus's words here because the life that brings uh, fruit is a life of dependence, a life of leaning, a life of rest. And in describing a life of dependence here to his disciples, Jesus calls them and us to two different things. He calls us to abide in his love and to abide by his love to abide in his love, and to abide by his love. And before we jump into John 15, let's pray. Father, we pray that you would uh, light up our hearts this morning, 
that you would reveal uh, your beauty, that you would reveal yourself through your word, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that you would make us what we're not right now, uh, that we might be uh, unto your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing that Jesus calls his disciples to and calls us to is to abide in his love. So I'm going to put up a picture here of a vineyard. So this is the image that Jesus uses to describe himself and what life is like in him. So I don't know if many of you uh, are, live close to vineyards, probably not. I know I don't. I live uh, in a concrete jungle down in Midtown. Um, so vineyards are pretty far from me, but I do like plants. Uh, and maybe that's the reason why I like plants. Uh, you can come into my office and see some of those. But throughout the Old Testament, Israel, the people of God, were referred to as a vine or a vineyard with God as its vine dresser or its gardener. God had vowed to take care of Israel, to tend to their needs, to see that they were fruitful. And this was marked in the temple. Jewish historians from the time know that there was a vine of gold in the sanctuary of the temple hanging from the top of the ceiling. And people would come and offer golden grapes and golden leaves to add to the vine. And some of these historians say that some of the clusters of grapes were as tall as a man. In Psalm 80, starting in verse 8, we read uh, this very image in reference to Israel. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This is how Israel was described. It's a beautiful image and one that would have been very familiar to the Jews in their daily lives. But nearly all of the references to Israel as a vine in the Old Testament, including here in Psalm 80, in the very next verse, end in judgment. Though God has been their good gardener, loved and cared for them, they fail to trust him and keep his good law. They fail to um, follow him. Instead of bearing fruit that would bless the nations, they bore wild and rotten grapes that profaned his name, ruined his reputation among the nations. And so he threatened to pluck them up for good, pronounced judgment upon them. But though he sent nations to ravage them and to, to bring heat upon them, he never abandoned them. Rather, he remained steadfast to his covenant. In these final hours before his death, not so far from that sanctuary in the temple, Jesus and his disciples partook in the Passover meal. The meal celebrating the covenant of God's faithfulness to his people despite their sinfulness. Drinking from the cup of salvation. The fruit of the vine. And in his final words to his disciples, Jesus says, I am the true vine. He doesn't say, I am the vine. He says, I'm the true vine. Thereby saying once again that he's the fulfillment of Israel. 
He is the new Israel who has come to fulfill the law in a way that the people of God never did and never could. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The people of God under the old covenant were required to abide by the law to gain and maintain a place in the vine. And now in Jesus Christ, his disciples, the people of God are called to abide in Jesus, the true vine who has already gained and maintains our place in the love of God. Jesus is the true source of life whom his disciples now have access They have access to the storehouses of God's love. We are branches of the true vine. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to put up another picture. I've got pictures because vines are pretty foreign to us. So this is a close-up. I don't know if you can see it in the back. It might be a little shaded. But this is a picture, a close-up of a vine and its branches. So you can see um, they're very much alive and very much thriving um, as they're connected to the vine. The branch is one with the vine. You might even uh, point to a branch and say, well, what is this? Well, it's, it's the vine. It's one with the vine. Jesus says that as the branches of the vine, we are in him and he is in us. We are joined to him. He lives within us by his spirit. And we find our lives within him. Consider, in this very moment, if you are a Christian, in this very moment, Jesus lives inside of you. And what does that mean? What are the implications of that? Well, like a branch that abides in a vine, we receive all that the vine has to offer. Everything, all the life that is in the vine is given to the branch. It's the very nature of their relationship together. In the same way, everything that belongs to Jesus now belongs to you. He is the beloved darling of heaven, son of God. So you are beloved children of God, you men our beloved sons, you ladies, our beloved daughters, for free. Jesus doesn't need to worry about whether his father is on his side or whether his father is going to listen to him or care for him or is interested in hearing what he needs. And so it is with us. We don't have to worry about whether we have God's ear or whether we have God's heart. We do. Because the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus loves us. And therefore, everything that belongs to him belongs to us. Jesus said to his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I spoke to you. In other words, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to God. As we come to him in faith, he does it for us. We simply respond. He says to his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. He calls his disciples friends. Have you considered that if you are a Christian? 
because you are one with Jesus, you are God's friend. That's what it means to be a Christian. God's good to his friends. And so is Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The love that the Father has stored up in his heart for his Son is the same love that he has for you right now if you are in him. And in his sacrificial death, Jesus proves to us that the heart of God is self-giving love. And to be a branch united to the true vine is to receive all the lifeblood of the vine. And the lifeblood of this vine is the love of God. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Have you received the love of Jesus for you as a Christian? I'm not asking whether you're a Christian or not. As a Christian, have you received that love in your deepest heart as it flows from his deepest heart? Do you live in it? Do you rest in it? I wonder whether or not some of us have come to Jesus yet still live in the old covenant, laboring under the belief that we have to work to gain God's delight, work to get a place in God's family. I wonder whether you believe if I just do more and try harder and read more books and know more theology and be more disciplined and exercise more and wake up earlier and be a better parent, be a better spouse, be a better sibling and friend, then God will start to pay attention to me. Then God will really care about me. Jesus is saying here, no. You don't have to live out back of God's house waiting for scraps from his table. Rather, you have a seat at his table, welcomed in to a feast with him. Jesus is saying here, you are in me, I am in you. Your identity and place in the family of God is settled. Abide in me, abide in my love. What, is it, what does it mean to abide? What does that word even mean? We don't really even use it often. Well, to abide means to rest. Jesus is saying, stay put in my love. Don't go anywhere else. Stay put in my love. Stay close to me. That's what he says to his disciples. He's about to, to tell them that the world's going to hate them, and his battle plan is stay close to me. Rest in me. Lean on my love. I don't want to be someone you visit from time to time, but someone you live with. I want to be the home you live in. Jesus didn't die for you or for me and unite himself to you only for you to treat him like Starbucks. He wants to be your home. Wherever you go, he wants to be your everything, and he has to be your everything. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. A branch is nothing without the vine. It's going to wither without the life of the vine. And so it is with us. We must remain intimately and vitally connected to Jesus, moment by moment, returning to his love and his presence with us and within us. 
Okay, if that's what abiding is, then how do we do that? Well, we might say, do what reminds you that Jesus loves you. Pretty simple. Tend to overcomplicate things. Do what reminds you that Jesus loves you. Do what stirs your affections for Jesus. Go for a walk in the woods and consider the presence of God with you. Look up at the trees and consider that you're a branch joined to the vine. Listen to good music. Eat good food. Consider the nourishment that God gives to you again and again. Read a good story. Write a good story. Sing a song. Cook a meal. Bake something. I like to run. And when I run, I get an opportunity to consider the love of Jesus that has given me legs and lungs that work. However painful running is, how do you abide? Talk to God. Talk to him. Tell him what you're going through. Ask him for help. I'll be honest, I have a hard time praying in my mind. I don't know about you. Maybe it's because I have ADD or something. But I have, I have a hard time praying in my head. So sometimes I get in my own room and nobody's around me and I, I kind of pray out loud and whisper a little bit so nobody hears me. Or perhaps uh, writing in a, journey, a journal. For me, I never use my hand to write, so I journal uh, using something that I always use, which is my keyboard. So maybe it's, it's getting on your uh, computer and creating a Word document, titling it journal, whatever you want to title it, and just have a running, running journal and just, just type, just talk to God. Do what reminds you that Jesus loves you. Talk to him about your struggle to abide. Intercede for a friend. Perhaps take a single verse, just one verse that has something to do with what's going on in your life, and just chew on it. Chew on it for a day. Chew on it for a week. Chew on it for a year. Stay close to Jesus. Consider that maybe the most important place for you to learn how to abide is when you are most anxious, the place where you are most discouraged or frustrated or ashamed. And Jesus tells his disciples in John 15 that they can ask the Father anything in his name and God will take care of them. I'll be honest, when I hear sirens, which I tend to hear a lot of sirens where I live, they remind me of painful parts of my life. And my faith can quake, if I'm honest because I become acutely aware of the trauma and death in the world. And so it's in that area that I have the hardest time abiding, which, is, which means that it's the area that I need to learn how to abide the most and pour out my heart and say, I, I don't really believe that you've triumphed over death. I have a hard time seeing that. It, this is hard. And yet as I abide in, in the life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and, and lean on the fact that he's not finished with his work in the world, that he's near to the brokenhearted, 
I can learn more about his love. So I don't know what that place is for you, where you need to abide in him the most. But consider uh, practicing that. Uh, It's hard, but there's freedom in it. Duty is not the point. Getting it done is not the point. That defeats the whole purpose. The purpose of is abiding in his love. The purpose is rest. Jesus calls his disciples and us to abide in his love, and he calls his disciples to abide by his love. If you think about the image of a vine once again and think about a branch, what's the purpose of a branch? What's it there for? It exists to channel life, to channel the life of the vine. It's it's there to carry life to the rest of the plant, ultimately so that it's going to bear fruit. And Jesus calls his disciples to this very thing when he addresses them in John 15, starting in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. These things I command you so that you will love one another. The branch of a vine isn't supposed to be a reservoir, but a river, a river of life. And in the same way, disciples of Jesus Christ are not purely vessels of God's love, but channels of it. To abide in the love of Jesus is to abide by the love of Jesus. They are one and the same. To receive the lavish love of Christ is to give it away. A branch that hoards life rots. It withers. It becomes diseased. If you are in Christ, you must love. But not only must you love, if you are in Christ, if you abide in his love, you will love. Because the love of Jesus supernaturally changes our hearts. That's the fruit of love. Organic, inner renewal from the inside out. We are loved into loving. Jesus not only commands love, but he gives us the fuel to fulfill it. And this love, this true love, means sacrifice. Greater love has no one in this that someone lay down his life for his friends. In some manner, every moment of love is a moment of death. A laying down of our lives. That might be a big death, a big loss, a big sacrifice, or it might be a little small one. True love is giving up our precious time, our fleeting energy, our pleasure and comfort, our preferences, our need to be right, all so that someone might be honored and protected and forgiven and cherished and changed. And that love is impossible. That love is impossible. So when we move to love like that, we're forced to rely, to depend, to abide in Jesus and in his present love. It is only when we remember his forgiveness 
that he's given to us that we can forgive and absorb the pain of our friend's sin against us. That really hurts. We can only do that when we rest in knowing that Jesus endured that very same thing and then some. It's only when we contemplate the kindness of Jesus toward us in our irritability that we can return a harsh and biting word whether to our face or behind our back with one that builds the person up when they don't deserve it. It's only when we're convinced of his presence within us that we can bear with other Christians with whom we disagree and with whom we might argue very poorly because we know that Jesus lives within them too. And to treat them with disdain is to treat Jesus with disdain because they are in him and he is in them just as you are in him and he is in you. It's only when you return again and again to the long-suffering Jesus with us that, that we can bear with a dear child who demands what they can't have, who disdains what they do have, and makes you pay for withholding what you know is bad for them. Some of us are very aware of that in this season of life. And it's only when we return again and again to the long-suffering of Jesus for us that we can love that child, for are we so different from them? And yet Jesus bears with us over and over again. This is the call to love. And Jesus gives us the fuel for it. And when we set out to love in these impossible ways, relying on him, we not only draw close to the heart of Jesus, we draw near to our own hearts and see that we lack his love. That our hearts are fickle. That that our, our love wanes. And so Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. That it may bear more fruit. So to depend on the love of Jesus as we love others is to depend on the love of God, the vine dresser, our good gardener, who refines us so that we will continue to grow and deepen in our love. As the gardener, he does everything to ensure the health of the vine, which is its fruitfulness. Pruning is rough. I don't know if you've ever been in a pruned vineyard, but I have a, a picture here of a pruned vineyard. That looks like the vine is, is gone, right? There's like nothing left. All you got is stumps. Um, and this is right after uh, a season of fruitfulness right after the harvest as we're entering into the fall and the winter. And uh, as, as painful as this looks, as, as severe as this looks, I have another image that um, this just looks like death. It looks like a graveyard. This is a pruned vineyard. It looks bar- like a barren wasteland, but it's actually a dormant vine. In a season of uh, lack, pruning, awaiting a coming season of new life, that will 
come under the vine dresser's hand and care and love. You can take that one down. That one's a hard one to look at, right? So we see the vine dresser doing two things. He removes certain branches and he prunes certain branches. As the vine dresser, God removes those branches that bear no fruit because their fruitfulness is a sign that they want nothing to do with the vine, actually. Consider, consider um, this image for a moment. If there was a guy on my college track team that refused to come to practice, that uh, ate horribly, talked about how he hated running, over and over again, ridiculed our coach behind his back for the difficulty of his workouts, complained, what should the coach do? Kick him off the team, frankly. Why? He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care about running. He doesn't love to be there. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't want to grow. Now, some of us can hear that and hear the, the concept of, of uh, God cutting off branches that don't bear fruit, and we, we look at our lives, I don't see very much fruit. Is God going to cut me off? The very fact that you are anxious about that and concerned implies that you want to be in the vine, that you want to stay in the vine, that you love the vine, which is in and of itself fruit. And Jesus, the Father, loves to see branches like that pruned. Kindly, gently, in love. Some um, read that and are, are discouraged and anxious. And some read it and, and see in their very lives the pruning of God. And maybe you've, 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 you've experienced it and you've experienced the fruit that comes on the other side of it. That's how God deals with us. As we abide in him and by the love of Jesus, he prunes us, he disciplines us, he trains us, he puts us through pain in the present so that we will see better fruit in the future. And all of his pruning is purposeful in every case. He was refining us to make us stronger, to deepen our love. How does he do that? He may prune you by bringing instability to an area of your life that has become idolatrous, that has consumed your love, that's distracted you and stolen you away from your friends, from your family, from him. He might take those things away Sometimes the honesty of a friend is the pruning shears of God. He may prune you through conflict and chasing your ego, or he might prune you through kindness that removes your unbelief and your shame. He may allow you to fail so that you might understand your own inadequacy and learn what it means to depend on him and that you can't do it on your own. Pruning could happen in a moment or it could happen over years and maybe it can happen over a lifetime. I experienced a long season of pruning. I became severely depressed 
for many years. Um, and I don't know that it was the depression itself that was God's pruning, but he sure was doing pruning in the midst of it, in the midst of the pain. It was how he wielded it. It was like he removed any awareness of his love, any awareness of his presence in order to stoke in me a deeper hunger for him. Maybe he's done that with you. He's, He's withdrawn from you in your felt experience so that you might long for him, ache for him, and pursue him more. And so rather than begrudging and being frustrated and uh, finding ourselves uh, getting angry with him for those things, we might want to yield to that. Embrace it. Embrace the pruning that we might know the Lord in a deeper way. We don't always know what God, our gardener, is doing. And you don't always know what he's doing in somebody else's life. So let me just say, if somebody's going through a hard time, don't just suggest, hey, maybe God's pruning you. (laughs) It's probably the last thing that they need. They probably need a friend uh, to sit down and give them a big hug. And the Lord will sort that out with them um, as you love them and as they abide in him. We don't know what he's doing, but nothing that he prunes is not a gain to lose. Nothing that he prunes is not a gain ultimately to lose. As we embrace his pruning hand, though we may suffer pain for a time. I don't know if if you've experienced that pain, but though we may suffer pain for a time, we will see fruit of new life. So here is an image of new life from a vine. It's beautiful, and it's come on the other side of pruning, on the, on the other side of, of love. And uh, when we rest in the love of Jesus and we learn to love, we're going to see fruit. We're going to see change and deeper love and transformation in our souls and the souls of others. Consider the guy in the video who as he loved, as he leaned on the Lord's love and just made a decision to love, he started to grow in his love. And in that, he started to understand Jesus' love more and more. That's how it works. Maybe that's how it might work with you as you respond to the call to reach local. It's a gift to love. As we love, we see fruit. We see shame turn to honor. We see weakness turn to strength. Drudgery turn to delight. Addiction turned to praise. Apathy turned to passion. Irritability turned to long-suffering. And seasons of barrenness to seasons of hope in the midst of suffering. And Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A life of leaning on Jesus is a life of joy. We are the weak, wounded, and wayward who have come to enjoy the living Jesus how he has loved us and done what only he can do, which is raise the dead. We don't create this life. Jesus does. We only bear it and enjoy it. And yet it's not ours. We receive it to give it away, to show the watching world the supernatural power of the love of Jesus. Why does Jesus love you? It's not to make you a better person, although that might happen. It's not just to save us from sin and shame. He loves us 
to make us a vital member into something that's way bigger than us, a vital member of his mission in the world. The love of Jesus is for you, but it's not ultimately about you. I mean, see what he says to the disciples. He says, I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that fruit should abide. Jesus doesn't redeem the world by just floating around and dispensing little nuggets of love to different people. As the guy in the video uh, who's preaching part of my sermon, like we are his plan A, and he's brought you into it. He's making the world new through his disciples, starting with the 12 and continuing all the way to us. Your love and your abiding is vital to the cosmic plan of God. Every moment of it, every little moment of it, every moment of abiding in the midst of pruning means more than you could ever imagine and will bear fruit oftentimes that you will never see. Francis Schaeffer, a theologian and pastor, said that the love of the church is its final apologetic. It's when the world sees a people who love one another with an impossible love that they will watch, wonder, and be wooed to the heart of Christ. And all we have to do is let them love us and let them love the world through us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for loving us in the, the impossible ways that you do. Lord, we know that, you are, that we are impossible to love sometimes. And yet you continue to remain faithful to us. You continue to, to lavish um, your kindness upon us. So teach us to abide. Teach us to rest. Teach us to lean on you in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our fickleness, in the midst of our, our lack of love, that we might grow and, and display your loving kindness to a world that needs it. And just as this lamp here plugged into the source is lit, Lord, light us up that we might um, bring light and love to a world that needs it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.